Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's HealthLock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, Sean Hannity here. If you're in a situation where you feel threatened, well, instinct, that might drive you to reach for a lethal means immediately. but We all want to avoid the irreversible consequences of using deadly force. Now, enter the Burner Less Lethal Pistol Launcher. It is equipped with tear gas and kinetic ammo. It can incapacitate any attacker for up to 40 minutes. It's legal in all 50 states. It requires no background checks, and it can be shipped right to your door. Go to their website, byrna.com slash Hannity right now, and you'll get 10% off. You know how much I love my pillow, how much it's changed my life for the better. Well, I figured it was about time that I let you know about my pillow sheets. Now, Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. That's why he has created the new Giza Dream Bed Sheets. Now, these sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza, that's only grown in a very small region where the Sahara Desert, Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River all meet to create the ideal weather conditions for growing cotton. These Giza sheets are available in a variety of colors. They come with Mike's 10-year warranty, 60-day money-back guarantee. The first night you sleep on these sheets, it's heaven. You'll never want to sleep on anything else. Now, right now, you, my listeners, you're going to save 30% and get free shipping when you use the promo code SEAN7, S-E-A-N-7, when you go to MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code SEAN7, S-E-A-N-7, at MyPillow.com. I'm glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. You know, it's sad. I um, We're going to interview later in the program today. Um, and I give the president a lot of credit for this. There's a guy, Eddie Gallagher, Navy SEAL, and he's going to be put on trial. And, you know, he's literally been put in prison. And, you know, the prosecutors are going after this guy because he, they, he murdered an unarmed, incapacitated teenage ISIS detainee receiving medical aid in the city of Mosul. You know, you got him. Then you got Christian Saucier takes pictures of his submarine. Then you got Clint Lawrence. Clint Lawrence was given 30 years in jail. And because of Obama rules of engagement, this guy has to make a split section second decision as the platoon leader for his men. When two guys on a motorcycle start racing towards them, which, by the way, it happened a week and a half prior And a week and a half prior, members of that platoon were killed by guys on motorcycles doing this. Then he makes the split-second decision. What does he get for it? 30 years in jail. I mean, we're going to send men and women out to fight for our country, and 
and we're going to put handcuffs on them to begin with. Then we're going to try them if they make a, a split second decision in, and they have to defend their troop, their, their platoon members, like in this particular case. It's unbelievable. The whole thing is, I mean, why would anybody want to sign up and fight for their country under these rules? Now, the president, to his credit, has, you know, with the belief of due process, presumption of innocence, is moving Eddie Gallagher to a less restrictive confinement while he awaits his day in court. He said the process should move quickly. But, you know, in the case of Clint Lawrence, he's been in jail for six freaking years. That's a long time to be in jail. Long time. And he's got 30 years. Great. Appreciate you serving your country. Sorry you made a, sorry you made a mistake. Which, by the way, now we have new evidence that came up in this case, biometric evidence, forensic evidence, that actually showed the guys on the motorcycles that were approaching the platoon, in fact, had been responsible for, and again, we have fingerprints, we have evidence, we have DNA that proved that they were planting IEDs in the exact same, same area. Oh, so they really were jihadists. According to the evidence, that, of course, now how long does it take somebody to get a new trial? It's unbelievable. Uh, on, anyway, 800-941-SEAN, you want to be a part of the program. All right, I want to go back, and I want to ta- talk about this issue involving the lieutenant governor of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. Now, if you remember, we had the incident involving the House of Commons member. Remember the lady that was, what was a butterfly she's protecting? The, yeah, well, K- Kathy Tran or something. All right, right. She says, yeah, you, no, no, my bill would allow abortions even up to the point of labor when a woman's dilating. When a woman's dilating, that means the baby is coming any minute or hour now. That means it's time for birthday. Gonna be the kids about to be born. Yeah, my bill would allow abortions even at that point. Like what? And followed up by the idiot governor, you know, along with the I guess the Secretary of State, but the governor, you know, in blackface, who didn't get in trouble for that. But I, I can assure you, if it was a Republican, they would have. And that was then the comments about abortion from, you know, Governor Northam of Virginia, which if is for mothers in labor. I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. He's a he's himself as a doctor. He's a pediatrician. Then we have the case. So he says that. And then we got the lieutenant governor who they thought was going to replace Northam after these idiotic statements. And in the case of Northam, you know, what do we find out that, oh, Northam can't be replaced because the lieutenant governor is being accused, oh, of rape in one instance and in another instance, serious sexual assault. Now, I've been asking the question, well, where are all the Me Too people? Where are all the I believe people? Where are they all? Are they around anywhere? Because we don't hear word when it's a Democrat. The only reason you're hearing anything about creepy Uncle Joe Biden is because the people that are critical in that case, well, they're running against them as it relates to the 2020 nomination. So they want to hurt Biden. But the rest of the I believe, I believe, I believe people, they're nowhere to be found. So. The woman that was raped or claiming rape. Now, we believe in due process. We believe in the presumption of innocence. But we also, 
you know, believe in it for everybody, and that goes for the lieutenant governor of Virginia. But remember what happened in the Kavanaugh case. In the Kavanaugh case, I believe. I believe, 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 I believe. Okay. Well, in that particular case, everybody believed. And even the allegation that got so absurd, you know, with one woman claiming, well, almost every other weekend, these kids were spiking the punch for these young girls in high school. And after they spiked the punch, then the girls would pass out and then they'd line up in the hall and they'd, they'd, they'd take their turns gang raping these teenage girls. And it happened almost every other weekend. And then the story evolved into, well, I never really saw uh, Kavanaugh spiking the punch. And he was near the punch bowl, near the punch bowl. Now, I never really saw him give a woman anything from the punch bowl, but he was holding a red solo cup. Well, and by the way, two of the women recanted. You do. Nobody seems to ever remember the recanting because that never gets the play that the allegations make. And then after that, well, he wasn't lined up in the halls, but he definitely was in the hall. And this was a frenzy to Bork or Clarence Thomas, Justice Kavanaugh. Well, okay, so now we have let me play this woman who's making this allegation against the lieutenant governor of Virginia. Her name is Vanessa Tyson. And I want you to listen to her tell her story. Now, I'll give you a warning. It's hard to listen to. Other facts in this case, both accusers, one accusing rape, one accusing a violent sexual assault, both of them say they told people immediately thereafter. And those people have since corroborated those stories. But if you have kids in the car, you may want to just kind of be careful what they hear here. We're kissing lying down and we're kissing like so our heads are level with each other. Mm -hmm. And then it was like my neck didn't work. What do you mean? It, 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 it was like I couldn't I couldn't feel my neck. I couldn't hold my head up. He's using his hand on the back of my neck. And I still didn't know what was going wrong. I thought there was something wrong with my neck. And he's pushing down and pushing down, and I couldn't hold my neck up. And I didn't know what was going on. I honestly didn't know what was going on. And then the next thing I know, like, my head is, like, literally in his crotch. And I'm choking and gagging. And, you know, I couldn't say anything because I'm choking and gagging. And so, you know, it continues for, and it's holding my head, so I can't lift, like I'm trying to lift my head, but I can't. Is he saying anything to you, Vanessa? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And what are you thinking at this moment? To be honest, I'm in total shock. Like, Do you say anything to him? No. I didn't know what to say. I mean, it's so shocking and so unbelievable. And you know what? I believe in due process. Remember I said it about Michael Avenatti, who, by the way, has since been brought up on these other charges involving, I guess, extortion with Nike. And shockingly, I'm, I'm what would ever what would what would what would Mark Garagos be doing with Avenatti? I never understood that. I actually liked Garagos over the years. We never agreed, but, I mean, he's not a dumb lawyer. He's a smart guy. 
So I don't know what his involvement is or isn't in this particular case. But I said when the allegations came out, there were three separate investigations into Avenatti as it related to uh, his, I guess, girlfriend at the time or whatever of some type of violence. Those three investigations ended up all of them exonerating him. So you got to believe in due process. You got to believe in the presumption of innocence. And I'll do that here in the case of the lieutenant governor. But that's pretty compelling testimony. These are pretty compelling stories. And here's where the problem is. Well, we're consistent and we're saying due process. The silence among the I believers has been deafening. Did they not see the interview? Are they just ignoring the interview? When did this happen? Yesterday with, I guess, Gail King on the CBS Morning Show. You know, she does great interviews. I think she does really good interviews. And so this takes place. And I don't hear a word from any of them. Now, I've got a, I've got a montage of the I believers. You know, this is what they were saying back then. And Not the, only do women like Dr. Ford, who bravely comes forward, need to be heard, but they need to be believed. They need to be believed. I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. Do the right thing. Let me just say right at the outset, I believe... Dr. Ford, I believe the survivor here. I believe her. I stand with her. And Do you hope I she don't shows she, up on Monday? Do you hope that she testifies? I don't think she should be bullied into this scenario. I believe her. Yeah, I believe Professor Ford. I think she's credible. I believe. Well, does anybody believe Vanessa Tyson, who was on the CBS Morning Show with Gail King? Now, what I did think about the Republicans during that time with Professor Ford and all these allegations, you know, I actually said for the first time that Republicans actually got it right. They they showed the proper seriousness of the issue and conducted themselves properly. And, you know, and it got to a point until Lindsey Graham stepped in and, and that changed the entire narrative debate and I think one of the best speeches I ever heard in the Senate chamber came from Susan Collins of Maine, who looked at all of the facts in the case. I mean, it was a it was a testament to somebody that just wanted the truth. That's all. Nothing else. And I've been critical of her in the past. And I understand Maine is she has to represent her constituents in Maine. She does so very well. That was an incredible moment. But the fact that they've been so smart, why does this guy not get the same treatment? Now, I know we're talking about creepy Uncle Joe and crazy Uncle Joe Biden. I mean, it is creepy. Crazy, creepy Uncle Joe. I mean, it really is. And I, I don't get it. I've had this experience at different times with my people that get in your personal space. I love Scott Shannon. Creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. Is Uncle on. Joe Biden, the close talker. <laughs> I just love Scott. He's amazing. You know, he's got the number one morning show in New York City. Number one. And he has for forever. Number one morning show. His ex-wife. Boy, I bet they're regretting that decision. Letting him go for two seconds. His, All right. his work ex-wife. It would. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is Yeah, I mean, he's married to forever who's a wonderful and his daughter is wonderful too very successful 
Hey, if you're one of 34 million Americans that smokes, you know what a hassle it can be. For me, I'm out playing golf and I come back smelling like cigars. It's the smell on your hands and your breath, your clothes. But now thanks to Juul, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Juul is a vaporizer. It does contain nicotine for a satisfying transition. Now, when I found Juul, it was a complete game changer in my life. I don't smoke any cigars any longer. And Juul was designed by smokers for smokers to be an alternative to whatever it is you're smoking. So if you're one of 34 million adults who do smoke cigars, cigarettes, pipe, whatever, well, there is an alternative to all of them. Now, to discover the smoking alternative, that's like nothing you've ever tried. Just visit J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. That's J-U-U-L dot com slash Switch America. Now, warning, this product does contain nicotine, and nicotine is addictive. I just don't think it's unfair to say, where are these people? You know, this really irks me and really bothers me because it's so transparently political. Everything they do is transparently political. You know, liberals are generous, but only with your money. You know, Nancy Pelosi, we go to her district and she lives in the million plus dollar enclave of the gated community where all the other rich people in San Francisco live. In her district, though, are, oh, streets, tons of homeless people, tons of drug addicts. Neat. We showed the pictures and images. Feces in the street all over the place. When you have needles and um, blood-stained clothing in the streets, that can't be safe for anyone. I do see, like, a lot of needles and then, you know, feces everywhere. And then that's obviously about drugs and stuff like that. Um, kind of makes it a drab when you walk around, you see needles and close to a playground and just feces everywhere. I mean, the smell of it all. It's kind of... You definitely have to look on the ground when you're walking. And it's been... It's, it's definitely an uptick because I've lived in this city more than 30 years and this is probably the worst i've seen it why doesn't nancy pelosi walk around her neighborhood get pledges for money build a shelter for homeless people that feeds them allows them a nice place to shower and maybe even a place to sleep and maybe as part of that maybe they can hire a couple of drug counselors and do it on her own with all her rich friends she's a multi 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 millionaire no but she'll only be generous with your money You know, Democrats care about building a wall, but only if Obama's president in his second term. Now Trump wants to do, forget it. The all-important dreamers, DACA, no, no, no. That all gets cast aside because that would mean actually talking to Donald Trump and making a deal. You know, oh, well, what about the furloughed employees? They don't care about them either. It's the safe. If it's Kavanaugh or Trump and it's me too against a Republican, boy, they're all on board. Got a significant allegation of rape and violent assault against a woman. Not a peep out of most of these same people. That's so despicable. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. culture. And a little bit of... 
Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. It, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. When he came back in the room, he sort of stood blocking. The door was sort of imposing the way he walked in the room, and he shut the door, and it was sort of like simultaneous. I heard the door click and the light went off. Click like locking the door. Mm -hmm. And you think what? Oh no, what's about to happen? Mm -hmm. You became concerned? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he did things that you shouldn't do to someone mm -hmm. without their permission. Mm -hmm. And I tried several times to get up mm -hmm. and leave and was pushed back down. And what happened? Um, he forcibly sexually assaulted and raped me. I was not on the bed. Initially, there was a couch, and he pulled me over, and I tried several times to get up and was pushed back down, mm -hmm. held down. Mm -hmm. And you made it clear, this is not what I want. It was very clear. Because, you know, he is saying this night was consensual. If you have to hold someone down, it's not consensual. All right, that was Meredith Watson. That's the other accuser. Forcibly sexually assaulted. Said she was raped in 2000. Lieutenant Governor. 
you know, I, I, I honestly, I know we've been so busy with so many other issues, and I've been watching and watching and watching and watching. It came up in my mind last night. All right, we're doing creepy. It's so creepy. Crazy Uncle Joe. Crazy, creepy Uncle Joe. You know, I just, I don't even know what to say about it. I mean, you know how many people were writing me last night like, oh, stop showing those pictures. Well, I, I got to tell you something. There are many we weren't able to show. Like with young kids grabbing their face and kissing them on the lips. I'm like, I, I don't get that. Where's the parents? What? Well, you say it on mic. So I did say it on mic. I don't Where's know. Where's the parents? I don't know. I mean, I look, I have met touchy, 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 in-your-face people my whole life. There's some of them. that they, they don't give you any personal space. Like, all of a sudden, they, like they want to talk, and you're, they're right up in your grill. And I'm immediately uncomfortable, naturally. And so I'll, even if you take a step back, they just move a step in closer. Move another. I move three steps back. I start doing a dance moving back so fast, and they can't stop. And why by the way, and almost ninety percent of the time, they have bad breath. That's, I was just going to say, why are they so unaware of their breath? I do, why are they so unaware of their invasion of someone's personal space? How do you how do you not respect somebody's personal space? I don't get it. Now and then they got the other side of this, which is you know he like takes people by the neck and and pulls them in and they're like kissing on the lips and then he doesn't know these people or rubbing the the rubbing the shoulders thing. Hey, hey ah, stop! Get your hands off me. Am I the only did one you, that feels did you that way? See the picture of his wife? Oh yeah, that's on Drudge right now. It's hysterical. Yeah, Look, she, who, they say they're just that affectionate. Bezos? That's just, yeah, that's Jeff Bezos. Very affectionate, very affectionate people. An affectionate apparently. group of people. They just like to, you know, inappropriately touch one another. All right. So as we're talking about this, though, and I'll let people make up their own minds on this whole thing. But, you know, and then you think of the crazy Uncle Joe side and man, you got the first African-American. He's articulate, and clean, man, that's storybook. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, where I, I can't believe he got away with that and became the vice president. And, you know, you can't work at a Dunkin' Donuts or a 7-Eleven unless you have a... You cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. It's a fully... I'm not joking. You got the first sort of... Listen to this. Mainstream... Mainstream, first. Yeah. ...who is articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice-looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. And you don't know my state. My state was a slave state. My state is a border state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country. My state is anything from a northeast liberal state. Okay, my state's a slave state? And I know he projects this Amtrak image of his, but we're learning a lot more from Peter Schweitzer. Wait, can I, tell, can I just say a funny story? So I was taking Amtrak because I take it every day, but I was taking it and uh, there was a huge, giant picture of Joe Biden. Ginormous picture. Amtrak Joe, Joe. Is that what they're trying to convince Uncle you? Uncle Joe Biden, the close talker. I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Let's take a survey of our... Jason, do you like people getting in your grill like that or 
You've had people that try to, you know, kiss you on the lips and you're like moving your face a million uh, prefer- different. Preferably not, although I, I, unlike you, I'm not averse to having a massage, okay? Somebody, so, so a stranger walks up behind you and starts, you know, massaging your soldiers. Kind of massage, no, man. no, no. All right. Well, man, that's what we're, t- that's what crazy, creepy Uncle Joe does. No, that, that, I wouldn't stand for that. Kylie, where do you, where do you stand on this? I think it's so creepy. I don't want anybody touching me. Exactly. Not at all. Ethan? I'm in the same boat as you. Even the massages is freaky to me. Like, no, no, don't touch mm-hmm. me. All right, Blair, jump in here. You know, where are you on all of this? Bring your hands to home. <laughs> Bring your hands home? What about or in your grill? I mean, oh, whoa, whoa. And 90%, I don't know, I always carry mints with me. Always carry mints, you know. I say if you had a Tic Tac, go for the shoulders. Get close. Get in for the real thing. Back up, uh, you creep. That's right. Get yeah, away exactly. Now, if you didn't have a Tic Tac, I'm with Hillary. Back right. it up. But here's the thing. Do you agree? Do you, you've experienced this yourself, right? Have you, well, I don't know. Have yeah, you ever without the Tic Tac, it's a nightmare. Have, what about somebody just, you know, trying to kiss you on the lips? You're not, you don't know this person or are very unfamiliar with this person. I know some people I know and their colleagues and they just come over and they're like, hey, how you doing? On your lips. And you have no problem with that. No, I have a big problem with it. But what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? I don't know. Because, it, listen, it comes from Yo. a place of, like, a lot Yo, of people. Adrian. Listen, listen, I love Rocky. If Rocky wants to kiss me on the lips, by all <laughs> means, Rocky. Wow. I'm, I'm going to call Sylvester Stallone's oh, brother. Oh, please do. All right. So, but, or has any guy ever come up behind you and start giving you a, mus- a neck or back massage? Yes. Ah. The and worst ha- is when the hands are sweaty. Oh. So creepy. Sorry, that's real. But we were. This is why people said, "Why, why are you calling?" I was a- in a real massage where they had to call the police. What, were they going for a happy ending? What was that? When I got over on my back, my masseuse was naked. What? Oh. I turned around and I said, uh, "Hey, where's uh, <laughs> where are your clothes?" That was your response. Hey, I was wow. so surprised. And he goes, I swear to God, he goes, oh, this is a, this is a new type of massage that we're um, offering here. And I said, uh, I'm pretty sure that this is not new and I'm pretty sure I don't want any part of it. And yeah. I got up and I got out of the room and I, and they had to call the police. He was taken away. That's really creepy freaky. Yeah. That I happened agree right with that. here on, uh, right here in Midtown. All right. You know what? I, I just, I don't need strangers touching me. I just don't leave me alone. Leave me alone. I don't want any part of you touching any part of me. No, every night I have to run this stupid wire down the back of my neck. I, I there, there is a process that everybody must follow. I've actually follow. witnessed that. All right, so I put my earpiece in. I put it over my ear myself. I throw it over my back. They are to pull it back and then click it in. Perfect. Then I will pull down the earpiece to the exact level of tension so it won't show on TV. Then they put a piece of tape over it. Then I put my jacket on. That's it. Simple. Because other okay, times- first of all, that is a complete misrepresentation of what actually happens. No, that's exa- you fidget like a little kid waiting in a dentist chair. I don't want to talk you're about You're a me. nightmare. I got a better story. Alec Baldwin is being sued. Baldwin was on with Howard Stern the other day, and apparently they were talking about me. Why is Howard Stern, you know, taking this idiot side? I don't get it. He's not taking his side. He took Jimmy Kimmel's side and about. And he He's actually, not taking their side. Howard Stern actually said, and this guy's brilliant. He's smart. And I couldn't believe he said, well, why would Kimmel ever be in a fight with Hannity? I mean, he's on network. And Hannity probably is dying to be on network. 
I'm like, Howard, you you, you know Howard, better than everybody. Howard is dying for you to say, you know what? I want to clear the air. I want to come on your show, Stern. I want to talk. Howard about doesn't this. want to talk to me. Oh, Sean. No, seriously. He does. No, listen, I don't have no interest. Why? Do you want me to say, you know, what am I going to have to answer the questions? Do you pleasure yourself? Do you do this? Do you that? I don't feel like going there. Who cares? Didn't say what you felt like doing. What he would never understand is his book, Private Parts, although I do a very different kind of radio than he does, and I think he's smart and entertaining and fun, and, you know, I I listen to him on Sirius XM, especially during Christmas. I get to hear the, all the highlight interviews from the year because I don't listen to radio much at any other part of the year. But And I've interviewed him and he on my radio and TV show, and it was fun. I mean, he's a fun, smart guy. But when he said that Kimmel Hannity's probably dying to be on a network, I'm like, Howard, where you been? We get two, three times the ratings of this idiot. We, and I'm like, you should know that. Sean. What? It's called just stirring things up, okay. creating a little tension. Yeah, probably. Getting your attention. And hug me. They'll put their hand on me and go, thank you. To put their hand over their mouth like they're going to cry and go, thank right, you for now, what you're doing with the So Trump. he has Alec Baldwin on, and I, I forget what everyone was telling me, and I just didn't feel like listening to it. Anyway, uh, no, whoa, 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 I'm going to call for this. Alec Baldwin is being sued and compared to President Trump by the man that allegedly he allegedly hit during that parking dispute late last year in New York City. Apparently he had to go off to some anger management classes in New York and allegedly went off on a man who parked in a spot, one of the actor's Family members was holding him, and Baldwin is holding for him, and Baldwin has since appeared in court where he pled guilty to second-degree harassment, forced to undergo anger management. Uh, yeah, we remember the tapes with his daughter. I remember being in a Twitter fight with Alec Baldwin. His daughter actually, well, this is when I was on Twitter, which I'm not anymore because we were compromised, apparently, in Twitter. Um, anyway, her daughter, his daughter wrote me directly, please stop fighting with my dad. I said, okay. I stopped. I'm like, well, why don't you ask your dad? I mean, she seemed like a nice kid. I don't want to bother. I don't want to bring kids into this. I just leave him alone. So anyway, long story short, now he's being sued um, and he slams. Now, Baldwin has a horrific temper. Cameramen fights in people's faces with cameras all up paparazzi. All I have to say is hello and walk by. Leave the guy, you know, I don't know why he's being so hostile. Um. And then one day he's so he's trying to fill in on radio. Me and Mark Levin tag team him. He got so angry he walked off the show. He was hosting. Brian Whitman was assisting in the hosting. Yeah, well, we have that, but we're not going to do that now. But then so he still wants to do talk radio. So he goes to our affiliate in Philly, PHT. I mean, that was at our ex-wife in New York radio station, WABC. We're now on the all new AM 710 WOR. Anyway, so what's funny about it is uh, he's practicing being, he really was doing a talk show. This is part of, this is, we, uh, none of this is fake. This is Alec Baldwin auditioning to be a talk radio host in Philly. Um, When we come back, uh, uh, oh, we got some time. Oh, great. Well, we're going to, now when can we take some calls, Ivan? Whenever we want. Do we, do we, we have calls that are on there now? Do no calls, calls yet. No calls, no yet. calls yet. What number do people call to get on the air? I mean, do we have that number? It's right there. <clears throat> oh, do I have the call number in front of me? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, that's interesting. Interesting. At uh, uh, 1210 at PHT. Of course, any other questions you have, any other comments you have, call us um, to the... Uh, 
What else? Uh, call us, please, at uh, 215-1210. Now, um, if you don't call, we're going to keep reading from the Scientology manual. <laughs> you might not feel it. You might not feel the energy right now. You might not feel uh, the swell of what's happening here. <laughs> we have any calls yet there, Ivan? No calls. Let's read some more about Scientology. <laughs> Is Sean Hannity a Scientologist? Alec Baldwin posing the big questions tonight here. Uh, do we have any calls here yet, Ivan? None. Boy, it's just incredible. Unbelievable. Well, you leave us no choice, listeners. And then he ended up calling his mother because nobody would call his show. It was so amazing. That was the best tape I've ever heard. This is when he was trying out in New York on WABC, walked off the show and walked out. Sean Hannity? Uh, is that Brian Whitman? Hi, Sean. Alec, I wanted to give you an official WABC welcome, considering uh, you uh, you were supposed to come on my program last week, and you uh, you didn't show up. What happened? No, I wasn't supposed to come on your program, no, Sean Hannity. You were supposed to come on the program, because a deal was made with your agent that if you were going to come on with Brian, first you'd come on with me. I wouldn't dream of coming on your program, well, Sean Hannity. I'm here with Brian. I'm here with a really talented... You are. You don't tell the truth. I'm here with a really talented broadcaster. Oh, Why no, would no, I want to no, come no. on the show with a no-talent former construction worker hack like you. Are you the guy that said that? All right, stop right there. I am. He apparently said the same thing. I'm really proud that I did all that work in construction for all those years. Clearly, he doesn't like hard work. I'm, I'm proud that I was washing dishes at 12 and did every job in a restaurant for 10 years. I, I, it's my, the roots of my, who I am. I'm proud of all of that. He's got a much harder job reading lines off a teleprompter. So it ends like this. Levin calls in right after, and can you move it forward a little bit because we're running out of we time? We can't here. actually move it forward, but we'll play it on the other side of this break just for fun. All right, we'll take a quick break. We will come back. 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. All right, here's the clip I was talking about with Baldwin. Are you 40 or 50 pounds overweight now? I'm oh, come on now. Who is this? Oh, that's the bloviator. You're yes, 40 or 50 pounds is, overweight. Then, uh, I just told you, you got a two-digit IQ. He's and and, and who's, that little, who's your little cabin boy there? Cabin boy. You are Sean Hannity's and cabin you know boy. What? Can I get you, Alec, to, to... You have nothing to say to him. Well, can I talk to Alec uh, Ballas or no? We're, we're going to end Why this right now? I'm so pissed off at you anyway? Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's my patriotic duty to get this story out there. If I didn't speak out loud, probably, you know, no one would have ever understood that Stefan Halper was an informant trying to spy on the Trump campaign. He brought me to London to meet with him. And the same day that I met with Stefan Halper, where he was part of an operation against me, the British Ministry of Foreign Affairs invited me to basically speak to me as well. So when I explained that the British and the Australians were working hand in hand with the Obama administration to spy on members of the Trump campaign, you'll see in my book, at the height of the FISA abuse scandal around uh, the summer of 2016 and the fall of 2016, the British government were was actively seeking me out to question me and to spy on me. Um, and uh, people think, tell me that, you know, uh, what months were th- was this happening? And I said it all happened around the time that Stefan Helper reached out. It's so important that the, the statement that President Trump made a couple days ago on the Hannity show regarding declassifying materials is so important. And it's going to shock so many people because what's going to be revealed in that declassification is going to show that no one with the Trump campaign was in a conspiracy or conspiring with the Russians. But we were essentially all targeted by what we thought were allies of the United States. Yeah. And um, and, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, the Brit- uh, when Donald, when President Trump was openly discussing declassifying materials, there were two U.S. allies that called him and said, please do not declassify anything. And no one knew who those allies were until a little later, and we figured out it was both the U.K. and Australia. So they're involved. Uh, they were spying. They were actively trying to undermine the campaign by, you know, bringing people like Alexander Downer and Stefan Halper to interact with the campaign. And I think that's what the declassified materials are going to show. And uh, obviously, my congressional testimony that's now public, um, it's quite clear that people like Congressman Mark Meadows and others who are privy to these materials also understand that yeah. that's what's in that declassified, that uh, classified material. Um, and that there will be counter investigations, you know, sort of accounting for this hoax that exonerated him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To investigate perhaps you, perhaps others. Do you 
fear that? Do you think that's coming down the pike? I don't fear it personally. I fear it as a citizen, right? Investigate what? <laughs> investigate that investigations were conducted and what would be the crime you'd be investigating? So it's a terrible cycle to start. He's already started it with calling for the locking up of his political opponents, including people like me. And so it would just be more of that dangerous step. And I would hope, although they continue to disappoint me, the Republicans would finally stand up and say, we don't do that kind of thing. But me personally, ask me questions. Go ahead. I'd like to answer them in the daylight if I could. It's amazing, by the way, that James Comey cut. Same guy that said he could be fired for any reason or no reason at all. Now saying maybe it was because Trump was obstructing. And he doesn't understand at all the Mueller report. Uh, George Papadopoulos tapped into something really, really important here. And when he started going off and explaining, and yes, the president did say on my TV show last week that a lot of this information, the FISA warrant applications, the Gang of Eight uh, information, the 302 information and other information is going to come cascading down on Democrats Uh, We have the new dump by Congressman Doug Collins today as it relates to the FBI guy, uh, Bill, what's his name, Priebus, and his, what, the things, uh, Priestep, the things that he said. Anyway, George Stephanopoulos, um, Stephanopoulos, George Papadopoulos, sorry, that's a horrible thing to say, and his wife, Simona, are with us. Deep state target, how I got caught in the crosshairs of the plot to bring down President Trump. By the way, it's up on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Um, how are you guys? Good to, good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks so much for having us, Sean. It's a real honor. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks again for being there with you. Let me ask you this. When you're saying that this classified material, because I, my sources have been telling me a long time that because... Our intelligence community actually has laws and rules they've got to follow. Sometimes they kind of farm out to other intelligence agencies work that maybe they themselves cannot do, which would hence result in resistance of even allies like Great Britain and Australia. Good, great allies of the U.S. from wanting that information out because it would show maybe they were doing things at the request of our intelligence community that they shouldn't be asking them to do, George? Sean, that's exactly what happened. And there's only one person on this planet that was interacting with both the British and the Australians to the point, and I want to make it clear, that the British government, when Donald Trump was elected president, ended up sending me the letter of congratulations from Theresa May for me to pass along to Donald Trump. And I ended up passing it along to Steve Bannon. I'm sure Steve Bannon passed it along to President Trump at the time. So uh, I was the one in these meetings with the Australians and the British. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody else in the campaign, uh, except uh, a couple others, were dealing with people like Stephen Helper. But I saw with my own eyes... Uh, and I was so suspicious of these meetings I was having, you know, which, you know, you, as a foreign policy person, you're supposed to be meeting with U.S. allies, but you don't expect them to be spying on you and trying to sabotage you and the campaign you're working with simultaneously. So uh, this guy, Alexander Downer, we could get into him uh, in, a, in a little bit, but I just want to make it clear that he was his behavior was so disturbing. And this is the Australian uh, diplomat that I foolishly reported him 
to Bob Mueller and the FBI because I thought that he was spying on me and I thought he was trying to undermine me in the campaign. So even before that New York Times story came out about drinking or whatever that nonsense was, I reported this guy to the FBI. So there's a lot more to the story uh, regarding U.S. allies and them and, uh, and the Obama administration farming out, uh, uh, you know, surveillance tactics to them that I'm here that I really want to clarify. I want you to go a little deeper when you say that. Look, I got to be honest. When it comes to our intelligence community, we need them so desperately, which is why we give them these powerful tools to protect us. I have no problem with them spying on all of our enemies and if need be, even our allies. And but it's when the powerful tools of intelligence then get used against and turned on the American people, which I believe happened here. That's a problem. And if they're farming out that aspect of intelligence gathering, not to protect us, but for political reasons, I have the big problem with that. It's it's that's why I call it an abuse of power. Can you expand on that? Absolutely. Look, here's where it gets even more disturbing. Uh, I'm a man who to this day, okay, has never met a Russian official in my entire life let alone on the Trump campaign and transition, okay? So, by the way, you know, people have said, well, that your wonderful wife, Simona, who, you know, I've gotten to know both of you so well, they they've always <laughs> thought she was from Russia. She's not. <laughs> exactly. That's, I was still this morning on Russia today, and I made the point that, uh, that there is nothing Russian about me. And, uh, you know, this is a, this is a, the proof of how much they fabricate everything, up to the point that he married a Russian-Italian woman. Uh, right, so you're, you're, you grew up in Italy? Yes, I'm Italian. Uh, I grew up in the south of Italy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, uh, part of my family is in Switzerland, which is uh, nothing to do with Russia, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm full Italian. Um, people question my accent, my look. Uh, I always says I don't know how my accent sounds, uh, but definitely no <laughs> Russian national ever told me. Oh, I think it's Russia. hilarious. <laughs> it, it is crazy. And, uh, you know, it, it resulted also in a death threat for me. Uh, many people over these months telling me, you, you have to die, you're a Russian agent, to get out of the United States. Yes. I mean, uh, there are many bad uh, aspects of this fake propaganda. Um, you know, people, hater, haters using this against me all the time in a very uh, uh, violent way. So uh, in the beginning, it was a joke. But uh, honestly... Uh, uh, it's not. And uh, I blame also my country. Why nobody came out saying she's Italian? <laughs> well, listen, I, I, do, I feel for you. I really do. And I think it's very hard when, you know, both of you have gone through all that you've gone through. And, you know, George, as I've gotten to know you and Simona, I, I just realized that you are a victim in all of this. And the title of your book is absolutely correct. You know, you were a target you sp- and you end up spending 12 days in jail. Thank God it w- went quickly and it wasn't terrible. But um, I find that a lot of innocent people in this now have been targeted at a very high level. And what it, what part of this deep, what, you know, I, I know some people did not understand what I meant early on by the deep state when I was talking about the deep state. But why don't you say in your words what the deep state is, what you experienced? 
Absolutely. And, and this is the perfect platform to do that. So I'm going to go step by step here because it's very important for people to understand how uh, in depth the, the deep state went to go after me and others on the campaign. There's this person named Joseph Mipsud, who is the, the professor who was at the epicenter of the fake Russia collusion story that uh, got everyone involved in it for the last three years. This was a man who told me in London, uh, off the, out of the blue, that the Russians possessed thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails, okay? And then later on, Bob Mueller told the world that this was a Russian asset and a Russian intermediary offering to sabotage Clinton, okay? That was the fake story that Bob Mueller and the FBI and the intelligence agencies uh, propagated to the world in order to make uh, people like myself, the campaign, and President Trump look bad. Now, here's the reality, and this is just so the listeners understand how uh, incredible the PSYOP was that was used by uh, the intelligence community, probably in tandem with the media, to get that fake story out. The reality is... This person, Joseph Mifsud, who told me that the Russians have emails, was introduced to me by a woman named Arvinder Sambe, who was the FBI's legal attache in London. And this woman also has a personal working relationship with Bob Mueller dating back to 9-11. So I meet him after she encourages me to meet with this person in Rome at a place named Link Campus. David Ignatius of the Washington Post has written an incredible article about this place. Link Campus is a spy training school for the CIA and the FBI. So I, I hope you're getting my drift here. So the guy who tells me that the Russians have thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails is introduced to me by an FBI intermediary, and all of his contacts publicly and privately are to Western intelligence organizations, including the CIA, the FBI, and the British government. So this person tells me this information, and then a week after he tells me this information, I have Alexander Downer, the Australian diplomat, spying on me to see if I would make any off-the-cuff remark regarding what he had told me. And uh, that's what I think Congressman Mark Meadows was referencing a couple weeks ago when he stated that ambassadors were conspiring with the FBI and Western intelligence groups to uh, hurt Donald Trump in the campaign. So this is the entire story. The entire Russia collusion narrative and the foundation of it not only was corrupt, but it was completely fabricated and pre-planned by the Obama administration. And that's why I have been so vocal in, uh, you know, not and, and trying to get the story out there, because I think the president and his administration really needs to talk to the Australians, the British and even the Italians and find out what their in exact role was in uh, creating this, uh, you know, this uh, fake uh, uh, op that was targeted at, at not only myself, but others in the See, campaign. I got to well. take a break here. We'll come back and, and we'll continue. George Papadopoulos, his wife, uh, Simona, with us. Deep state target, how I got caught in the crosshairs of the plot to bring down President Trump. I've, I've heard this from numerous sources that these countries are scared to death at what the president may declassify. Uh, Amazon.com, Hannity.com, bookstores everywhere. It is a fascinating read. All right, as we continue, George Papadopoulos, his wife, Simona, with us. Uh, their best-selling book, Deep State Target, How I Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. What is it? I'm, I've been reading a lot of what you've been saying in your interviews, and you really feel, both of you, that this is your patriotic duty to actually expose how the Obama administration, everyone seems to forget, it was the Obama administration 
And there, this happened under their watch. Most people seem to forget that, George. Look, and that's and if they do forget it, that's exactly why I'm screaming from the rooftops, uh, trying to remind everyone that exactly what you just stated, that the Obama administration was the ringleader behind that uh, entire operation to try and bring uh, candidate and President Trump down. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Simona, you're going through all of this with him. At any, is he telling you these, some of these thoughts at, at different times that he thinks this doesn't feel right? You know, be it the London professor or Downer or Stefan Halper or any of these people? Well, I could uh, witness personally one of these characters, which is Professor Mifsud. I used to work for in London. And I witnessed it many times, both with the FBI, the Congress, the Senate, and also to the media, that this man has ties to Western intelligence, is likely to be an Italian asset. So uh, seeing this mischaracterization of the entire uh, investigation and George in the center of that, uh, because he met this allegedly Russian spy that I know, for sure not being a Russian spy, I felt it was my uh, duty to the truth and my loyalty to my man to, to, to put the truth out. All right. Stay, if you guys can hang on just a couple more minutes longer, I know um, we're going to let you go. We put it up on our website, Deep State Target, how I got caught in the crosshairs of the plot to bring down President Trump. Uh, George Papadopoulos, his wife, Simona, also play the rest of that Alec Baldwin, Hannity, Levin tape. They were all begging me. I'll get to it. All right, 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, we and Thanks for staying over. We continue a little bit longer here with George Papadopoulos' his wife, Simona. I know you're asking me to play more of the Alec Baldwin, Hannity, Levin tapes. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, now, because Alec is getting sued. Anyway, um, his book, their book is really important. It's called Deep State Target, How He Got Caught in the Crosshairs of the Plot to Bring Down President Trump. And I want to get to this point, which I think is very key. And I want to I want to make the usual. Well, I, I want to delineate between rank and file, FBI field agents and and special agents and, and people that literally, you know, put their lives on the line and protect us every single day. That's the ninety nine percent. And unfortunately, we're talking about a, about a few abusing power at the highest levels. But you really believe it was the FBI setup. Now, I want to just give a little foundation here. We know from the testimony that came out that all of these top FBI individuals, we know that all of them were made aware of the fact that this dossier was tainted, that this dossier was not verified, that this dossier was Hillary Clinton bought and and paid for, but then they ended up using it and James Comey signing the first one in October of, of 2016 and then telling Trump in January of 2017 as president-elect at Trump Tower that, well, I have no idea. It's not verified, but it's salacious. So he lied once or the other. And I know this guy, he doesn't really understand his need to remain silent at this point. But anyway, and the Democrats now demanding that Attorney General Barr testify about the Mueller report now. Interesting, you know, Gerald Nadler uh, was opposed to the release of the Star Report. Not that that would matter, anything type of consistency. Uh, Bill Priestap, this is news and information from Doug Collins today, a senior member of the FBI's counterintelligence uh, team, 
Uh, he was worried about Strzok and Page having been compromised by a foreign adversary because of their affair. And anyway, we learned that and more thanks to Doug Collins. There's going to be a lot more information cascading down. Uh, they want to bring everybody back. By the way, if they call you back to testify again, will you go? Uh, yeah, Sean, so I, uh, I've i been invited to testify in front of the Senate Intel Committee later this month, and I plan on going. And, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting testimony um, because it's post-Mueller report. Obviously, the world knows now that uh, I had nothing to do with Russia, neither did anyone on the Trump campaign or even President himself, the president himself. But, you know, what's the most interesting thing back to your... Well, let me ask you a question. Him, if, you, yeah. if you're going to testify under oath... And you yeah. say one thing that is inconsistent with maybe previous testimony. You do know that they get to decide whether you committed perjury, lied to Congress, even though it, it could be the most innocent thing ever. I you don't know. know. That's, uh... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, that you know, it's part of that. But, uh, you know. Um, I, I want to make sure that the truth is out there. And, and also, I really want to make it clear, because this is probably the most uh, disturbing part of uh, my story and probably part of the, the 2016 campaign. What my actual case was really all about were, uh, was Bob Mueller and Jim Comey actually spying on me for my ties to Israel. This is like re- new information that I've just been releasing now, and it's, it came out in my congressional testimony. But they were going to hit me with a FARA charge. I think I was going to be the first person in history to be charged with working as an unregistered agent of the state of Israel. Um, and that I just want to make it clear, that's the extent that these people wanted to go to to nail me and to make me basically lie to them to do everything uh, in their power to undermine Trump with my case. Of course, I never lied. I didn't undermine uh, President Trump. I landed in uh, jail for 12 days uh, for it, but I wouldn't change a thing. And it goes to the same thing. Why would you allow yourself? I'm very serious here. You've already given your testimony. Yeah. You know, why would you allow yourself to go under oath and knowing that they are the ones that would decide Now we're going to have criminal referrals from Devin Nunes this week? Why would you put yourself in a position where if you're under oath I wouldn't testify without immunity in your case, and I would insist you know on it. And if you don't get it, don't do it. You, you know get- what? That, it, it looks like that's what my lawyers are asking for. I have a great new legal team, uh, and that's what they're asking for. And quite frankly, I agree with you. And um, if I don't get it, we're probably not going to do it. But I, I was currently. Well, let me check with that- Simona here because she went to visit you all 12 days when you were in jail. <laughs> Simona, whose side are you on? Yeah. Mine or his? I'm on your side. Thank you. Do that again. <laughs> no, you can't do it. And let me tell you, you've already testified to everybody. How many hours did you testify total between, you know, Mueller and everybody else? Uh, probably about thirty hours. You know what? I'm making. I'm going on the record. I'm not going to testify to the Senate. That's it. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that my uh, lawyers take care of that. But you're absolutely right. At this point, I've testified for over thirty hours. My testimony to the Congress, to the Oversight Committee has been released. That's the story. And that you're absolutely right. At this point, uh, we could there, there could be trouble. So, uh, yeah, I, no, agree I mean, and, uh, I start to feel scared now because they testified to Congress and Senate already. So. No, let me tell you something. And they let them hold you in contempt. You've given 30 hours of testimony. And uh, I would call Professor Alan Dershowitz because he gave some case history last night on my TV show about how at it was, I guess, either the McCarthy hearings or the Watergate, I don't remember which one he was referring to, that there comes a point where this is harassment. 
All these people being brought back to testify and ask the same questions over and over again. Yeah. A, it becomes a yeah. perjury trap if you misremember something. And B, yeah. you know, these people can't afford these attorneys. It, yeah. it's, it's so expensive. Totally true. All right. And Simona's a lawyer, yeah. and, uh, you know, she's been advising me r- very well, and she, she agrees with uh, what you just stated. So uh, yes, I totally. think we're all on the same I'm, page. No, and I, so by the way, I would recommend you? anyone else that testifies. Tell, no way. I'm pleading the fifth. And, Sean, they arrested me, too. Uh, I've been uh, there twice already, and they keep wanting uh, me to say the same thing over and over about Mifsud, but they never release my... And if you ever say it differently the second time, boy, they get to decide, oh, criminal referral, here we go. And then then more years of your life is ruined because of these idiots. All right, last question. How was the FBI, as you've been saying, meaning the upper echelon... How was the, how was this a setup by them? This was a setup by the upper echelons of the FBI um, because, based on the simple fact that the man at the center of the entire Russia fake conspiracy, the professor uh, who told me in London that the Russians had thousands of Hillary Clinton's emails, this guy was introduced to me by an FBI legal attaché in the UK named Arvinder Sambe who had a direct relationship to uh, uh, Mueller after 9-11. And I have just found out recently that the same lady who introduced me to this person who created this, I guess, this uh, chaotic situation we found ourselves in the last three years, she also was introducing uh, the the equivalent of the deputy attorney general of the U.K. to Bruce Orr at that infamous uh, dinner of the Orrs four days before the Trump Tower uh, setup meeting that also we later found out was orchestrated. So this entire thing was a pre-planned, orchestrated event. Uh, No one on the Trump campaign was uh, even meeting with Russians, let alone conspiring with Russians. Um, But it was uh, assets of the FBI and people that were led uh, and directed from the FBI to make contact with various members of the Trump campaign were doing it for the sole reason to make it seem that people were working with Russia when we had nothing to do with it. So somebody was taking orders, and those orders came from the top of the FBI under Obama. That's what I mean by that. We're going to get to the bottom of it. We're going to hold them all accountable, and you're helping us. Uh, George Papadopoulos, Simona, thank you. Deep State Target, how I got caught in the crosshairs of the plot to bring down President Trump. And it's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Guys, thank you so much for being with us, and we wish you both the, the very, very best of luck. And and listen, don't trust any of these people. I don't trust any of them. These members of Congress are on a witch hunt that they'll never stop. Um, that's a that's a great point, Sean. And thanks so thanks. much for having us. You've been a tremendous friend and a great uh, person. And I'm glad you, you're on our side. Yeah. Thank, um, you. Um, Thank you. I so appreciate much, you Sean. telling your story, both of you. And I wish you, as time goes on, that you move on from this, have a great life as you deserve. Uh, all right, let's go back. Everyone is. Are you busy in there? Oh, oh I'm sorry. You distracting my producer. All right. So we everyone is writing me. Play more of the Alec Baldwin stuff. All right. Here's what we're going to play. Play a little bit, I guess, came up, play cut 20, where Alec Baldwin is attacking me and Levin on Stern Show. Play that. Sean Hannity, who lacks self-awareness on any, any level, he's got zero self-awareness. Zero. Have you ever had would, a discussion with him? Have you done No, no, no. no, no. Why, why would I waste my time doing that? <laughs> yeah, and that Mark, what's his name, Levin? Mark Levin. Oh, is it Levin? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know. You know. Mark Levin. <laughs> you know Mark how that Levin. goes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's very smart. Right. Levin is an idiot. <laughs> Hannity is an idiot. These guys have no talent. 
They've got no talent. And it's troublesome. They're horrible. They're a horrible broadcaster. Levin is a black belt idiot. (laughs) The things he says are just not interesting. Horrible broadcasters. Well, now, just to remind you. Now, this is the first time Alec Baldwin wanted to be a radio talk show host. At the time, we had a program director uh, at my former station in New York. Proud of my new station, WOR. I still have friends over there, a lot of friends. Uh, And anyway, and Levin included. Anyway, so uh, the deal was that he was going to come on my radio show. And then we were going to let him try out on a Sunday night. And Brian Whitman, who's a broadcaster, used to be on our New York station, but is now in Los Angeles doing really, really well. Very funny guy. We don't agree politically, but I love him a lot. He's a great guy. Anyway, he was sort of like helping Alec, first time hosting. And anyway, I called in. I'll just play a little bit of that part again. Sean Hannity? Uh, is that Brian Whitman? Hi, Sean. Alec, I wanted to give you an official WABC welcome, considering uh, you uh, you were supposed to come on my program last week, and you uh, you didn't show up. What happened? No, I wasn't supposed to come on your program, no, Sean Hannity. you were supposed to come on the program, because a deal was made with your agent that if you were going to come on with Brian, first you'd come on with me. I wouldn't dream of coming on your program, well, Sean Hannity. I'm here like with Brian. I'm here with a really talented... You are. You don't tell the truth. I'm here with a really talented broadcaster. Oh, Why no, would no, I want to no, come no. on the show? Show with a no talent former construction worker hack like you. I and he goes on attacking what I did for a living, which I'm proud of. Anyway, Mark Levin calls in. One big happy family. And well, let's just say Alec, who was guest hosting, decided to leave the studio after this. Are you 40 or 50 pounds overweight now? Oh, come on now. Who is the... Oh, that's the bloviator. You're 40 or 50 pounds overweight. I just told you, you got a two-digit IQ. And and, and who's who's your little cabin boy there with you? cabin boy. You are Sean Hannity's cabin boy. You have nothing to say to him. Well, can I talk to Alec uh, Ballas or no? We're going to end this right now? Why is your wife so pissed off at you anyway? You, you no, no, please don't leave. I, no, no, I, okay. I beg of I'll you. I'll take my headphones off. You go ahead. Take I, your headphones nice off. Chat. I beg of you not I'm to leave. I'm off the air now, folks. Thank you very much. No, Thank stay you. right there. We're going to be back with the stay right there. Uh, with the uh, no talent and no, uh, come on now, come on, come on, come on. You are a no talent, oh, ignorant no fool talent. from Long Island. You should go back to building houses out in, in Hempstead. Begging for a job. Good luck. Okay, listen, Sean. All right, Sean's hanging up. Come back. Come back, Alec. Come back. They're gone, Alec. Alec has uh, walked out of the studio. Alec, please come, please come back. He is uh, in the other room. Alec Baldwin has put on his jacket, and uh, he has left. I just went into the station lobby to the elevator bank to see if I could find Alec Baldwin and ask him to please return to the radio show, but he is gone. He left. <laughs> he walked out. So he wasn't done trying out for talk radio. Then he went to Philly, and this is him on radio. By the way, he's saying, oh, these guys are horrible. Okay, listen to the, the – you're right, Alec. I can't duplicate this. This is the best radio I've ever heard in my life. This is um, Alec Bolin hosting. Uh, uh, oh, we got some time. Oh, great. We're, we're going uh, to – when can we take some calls, Ivan? Whenever we want. Do we, do, we, do we have calls that are on there now? Do no calls, calls yet. No calls no yet. No calls yet. What number do people call to get on the air? I mean, do we have that number? It's right there. <clears throat> oh, do I have the call number in front of me? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, that's interesting. Interesting. 
at uh, uh, 1210 at PHT. Of course, any other questions you have, any other comments you have, call us um, to the... uh, what else? Uh, call us, please, at uh, 215-1210. Now, um, if you don't call, we're going to keep reading from the Scientology manual. <laughs> you might not feel it. You might not feel the energy right now. You might not feel uh, the swell of what's happening here. <laughs> we have any calls yet there, Ivan? No calls. Let's read some more about Scientology. <laughs> Is Sean Hannity a Scientologist? Alec Baldwin posing the big questions tonight here. Uh, Do we have any calls here yet, Ivan? None. Boy, it's just incredible. Unbelievable. Well, you leave us no choice, listeners. That was real. He got no calls and had to call his mother. It's the greatest tape in talk radio history. Um, I could play him calling his, what, 14, 15-year-old daughter a rude, thoughtless little pig. But uh, you know what? I, re- I, I, you know what my problem is. I don't. I'm not mean enough to do it anymore. I just don't have the heart to do it to the kid. Anyway, that's him. Talk show host of the year, Alec. Oh, who's failed TV on? He was on MSNBC. That show tanked. His uh, show on NBC, I guess it was tanked. ABC. What was the show called? Does anybody remember? It? Who knows? Nobody lasted like three weeks, and nobody would watch it. I mean, it had lower numbers than the, than even fake news CNN. You know, this guy's now he's being sued and he has to go to anger management classes. He's nuts. There's no exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you one uh, first thing I would say is this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered, uh, the infant would be kept comfortable, uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why, Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I I would certainly support more than one provider. Right now, 
women are able to access an abortion in the later stages of pregnancy under certain conditions with the approval of medical doctors. I've done nothing to change that. How late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the, of the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, um, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman I would make I understand that. that. I'm point. asking if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. Last year, uh, House Delegates Member Kathy Tran proposed a late third term trimester abortion bill. You've heard the whole flack over it. Basically, you can uh, terminate the child as they're coming through the birth canal. In fact, uh, your successor, Governor Northam, said even after it's born, it would be up to the parents, resuscitate it, make it comfortable, and then maybe, uh, maybe terminate it, execute it, whatever the word is. That created a firestorm. If you were governor, would you have vetoed that bill if it hit your desk? The bill uh, is, I believe it was, you know, Virginia law currently requires, you know, that before a woman can end a third trimester pregnancy, she must get three separate doctors to evaluate the pregnancy and really certify that it's necessary. You know, I, this was a common sense bill that, in the sense, you go from three to one to help people in rural communities. It's very rarely, as I say, twice in 19 years, but unfortunately it became political. Governor, would you have vetoed the bill, yes or no? I would not have vetoed that bill. I would not have vetoed that bill. Now, we got to go back. We just heard uh, this woman who introduced the bill. By the way, on the same day she introduced the bill to protect these butterflies that aren't called butterflies, whatever they were called, uh, Kathy Tran, House of Commons. Remember, she was asked specifically, oh, what about during the dilation process? In other words, that is the birthing process. The canker worm, which she first, you know, she introduces it the same friggin' day. Protect the worm that becomes some type of offshoot of a butterfly. Um, and then she said, well, yeah, I would. What if a woman's in labor? What if she's dilating? Yeah, I'd support abortion under those conditions. Yes, that's, this bill would allow that. And then Governor Northam. Oh, I could tell you exactly what we're going to do. We're going to. Well, first, we'll deliver the baby and make sure the baby's comfortable. So compassionate. And then the mother will decide whether or not we resuscitate the baby or give the baby, you know, medical care or not. And then we'll have a discussion with the doctor after. And then all these states and, you know, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. And it resulted in us having an abortion survivor uh, on this program who's living a happy, productive life. I don't know why Democrats have have latched on to this. Imagine if somebody wanted to do this to a kitten being born or a puppy being born. Um, you know, think of uh, Animal Rights Act. Where are they in all of this? Well, anyway, that's that was Terry McAuliffe's answer. He's thinking about getting into this 2020 race. Uh, House Minority Whip Steve Scalise is here. 
He's filing a discharge petition on the Born Alive Protection Act. And if he gets enough signatures today, it will force an anti-infanticide vote on the House floor. Good, let's put all these people on record. You know, you, you can't let evil continue like this. This is These are fully formed babies. This is not about abortion, even. If you allow infanticide. Anyway, House uh, Republican uh, Whip Steve Scalise is with us. How are you? Hey, doing well, Sean. Great to be back with you. And, and thank you for, for highlighting just how barbaric this pro- process is, the procedure of, of murdering a baby when it's born alive, and what we're doing to stop it. Okay, so you need, though, if you, I assume you're going to get every Republican, right? Yeah, we uh, by the way, we just started collecting signatures. We've already exceeded 125 signatures. There was a line literally out the door of the House chamber today during the 130 vote series, and we're still collecting signatures. And my goal is to be well over 150 by the end of today and uh, to get every Republican to sign, and then, and then to start getting some Democrats to sign, and frankly, Sean, to engage people all around the country. Uh, who when I, when I talk to people about it, it's not a question of whether or not to support it. People are shocked, Sean, that it's legal in America to murder a baby after it's been born alive outside the womb. It literally transcends the abortion debate uh, because they're pro-choice people uh, that think it's wrong to kill the baby after it's born alive, and yet there are no legal protections. Some states have protections, but clearly, as you saw in New York, in Virginia, in other states, they're allowing it to happen or moving to try to legalize it. We need to stand up and and say, you know, all innocent life is precious, but uh, those most vulnerable are the ones that need uh, the protections the most, and this born alive bill, it's Ann Wagner's bill from Missouri, but my discharge petition that I signed today would go around Pelosi, who refuses to let us have a vote. It literally would bypass Pelosi and force a debate and vote on the House floor. All right. So you need 21 Democrats. Have you gotten any yet? Um, I have talked to a few Democrats who are supportive of what the the legislation does. Uh, There's a lot of pressure by Pelosi to try to hold everybody off. I think we will get some Democrats to sign this discharge petition. And look, once you see that happen, and Sean, I think there's going to be a groundswell, a grassroots movement all across the country of people that are going to just ask the simple question, not whether or not my member of Congress will sign, but why hasn't my member of Congress signed? And look at my website, republicanwhip.gov. When you go to republicanwhip.gov, we're going to have a list, and you can click on the list and see who signed the discharge petition, see if your member of Congress is there, and if they're not there, pick up the phone and call and say, not are you or not you going to get on, but you have to sign this bill. If you, if you dare say you're pro-life, you have to sign the discharge petition to bring this bill to the floor. Unbelievable. Um, you know, let me ask you a question as we move on for this. I, I really want you to be successful in everything here. Um, I want to ask, and I guess this goes to the heart of what the Republican Party is going to stand for. Why is there resistance among some Republicans to go forward with the president taking on health care again? Um, why is there some resistance, you know, among Republicans as it relates to the emergency order, which, by the way, is supported legislation legislatively? What I think it's 10 U.S.C. 284, if my mind serves me right, my memory serves me right. And also constitutionally, the president has the job as commander in chief. And I think there's been enough homicides. Uh, I think there's been enough, uh, you know, sexual assault cases, violent assault cases by illegal immigrant criminals that would show that it is, in fact, a real crisis, as even Obama's DHS secretary, Jay Johnson, said. You know, why is there resistance for some Republicans to just stand up, take a stand and, and fight? 
I don't get it. Well, well Shauna, and it, we know that there are members in other places on this. I strongly support what President Trump is doing to build the wall, uh, to even go to the step of declaring a national emergency, because it is. I mean, it's a serious crisis at the border. I've seen the problems. I've talked to Secretary of, of Homeland Security Nielsen about the problem. And we were able, even with Pelosi, we were able to get a $4.5 billion of new wall funding, but there's still more that needs to be done, and that's why the national emergency declaration is so important. And then let's shift to health care, Sean, because, you know, you brought up this, uh, you know, this, this lawsuit that's out there. Let's keep in mind, it wasn't Donald Trump but Nancy Pelosi who wrote uh, Obamacare. It was Nancy Pelosi who famously said, you have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. And if Nancy Pelosi's bill that they rammed through Congress that nobody read, if Nancy Pelosi's bill is ruled unconstitutional, which many of us, by the way, predicted it would be back then when we voted against it, uh, then it's, it's not Donald Trump's fault that she wrote an unconstitutional law. But frankly, not only is it unconstitutional, it doesn't work. Uh, it's hurting families with pre-existing conditions who have to pay double-digit increases in their premiums, who in some cases are paying $10,000 deductibles. Let's focus on protecting people with pre-existing conditions and lowering premiums by letting you decide what's best for you and your family. Pick the plan that's best for your family and buy it from wherever you want to buy it, whatever state you want to buy it from. Uh, that's how health care should work. And right now, that's not what we have under Obamacare. Uh, and so, again, Nancy Pelosi is the one who rammed the bill through Congress, knowing that there were serious legal problems with it. She wasn't concerned about that when she passed it. She should be asked that question. All right, uh, Congressman, thanks for what you're doing. Keep us up to speed. And uh, if we need to put up a few Democrats uh, that are in pro-life districts, uh, remind their uh, constituents. We'll be glad to help you in any way we can. And it's, a lot of them ran saying they'd be pro-life, Sean. We're going to hold them accountable for yeah, this. Send us over a list of those. Send me a list of that. It. We'll send you the link. We will definitely send you the link. Let's go defend the lives of yeah. babies who were born alive. All right. Thank you, Congressman. All right. As we continue, Don, we're going to get to your calls at the bottom of this half hour. I'm loving this fight, as I mentioned earlier, between uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or AOC, you know, that's what I guess her fans call her because she's at AOC on Twitter. Anyway, so she's in a battle with Liz Cheney over the 22nd Amendment to the Constitution. And it's interesting because they're going after each other. And and Liz Cheney took issue with Ocasio-Cortez's statement during a, you know, conspiracy tinfoil hat uh, town hall on uh, MSNBC in which the freshman congresswoman talked about Democrats being in control of Congress in the 30s and 40s, when our party was the boldest, oh, the time of the New Deal, the Great Society, the Civil Rights Act, and so on. No, that was in the 60s, but we'll get to that in a minute. We had and carried supermajorities in the House, the Senate. We carried the presidency. They had to amend the Constitution of the United States to make sure that Franklin Delano Roosevelt did not get reelected, she continued. Liz Cheney writes, well, we knew the Democrats let dead people vote, according to at AOC. They can run for president, too. According to AOC, Congress amended the Constitution to prevent FDR from being elected. Um, Well, the problem is FDR FDR died in office in 1945. The 22nd Amendment was in 1947. Oopsie-daisy. And in response, uh, Cheney tweeted, well, you know, what I just said about, well, now they could dead people can run for president. She writes back, hey, Representative Cheney, I see from your dead people comment that you get your news from Facebook memes and 
But the National Constitution Center and Newsweek are just two of many places where you can clarify your misunderstanding of the history of the 22nd Amendment, she wrote. And, uh, well, according to that, discussion of the 26th, uh, 22nd Amendment and term limits began in 1944 after presidential candidate Thomas Dewey warned a 16-year term of Roosevelt was a threat to democracy, so on and so forth. Cheney, well, she actually has a J.D. law degree from uh, the University of Chicago Law School, 1996. Hey, AOC, I know you're busy, so uh, I thought this short would be helpful to introduce you to the basics of the Constitution. If you're trying to figure out how the bill becomes law, they have a great video of that, too, uh, which is hilarious. And she writes back, AOC does, um, you know, she has nothing to say because she's wrong. As usual. All right, your call's coming up straight ahead as we continue. The Sean Hannity Show. Awesome Hannity tonight. Tell you about that coming up. 9 Eastern, Fox News. Glad you're with us. Hi, my name is Anna Lawrence. This is my husband, Tracy Lawrence, and we're the proud parents of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence, who is currently serving a 20-year sentence at Fort Leavenworth Prison. President Obama, I would like to ask you, please, 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 Give my son a a full pardon and send my boy home. President Obama, to date, you have shown mercy and granted presidential pardons and commutations to over 600 Americans who made poor choices and ended up in prison. With all due respect, sir, my son didn't make a poor choice. The only choice that he made was to serve his country. Mr. President, you've acknowledged that those who, that you have helped have taken full responsibility for their actions and they deserve a second chance. Our son, too, deserves that second chance. Mr. President, if I could speak to your heart for a moment, parent to parent, I would like to tell you a little bit about who my son is. My son is a very very outstanding young man that loves his country and willingly and proudly chose to serve his country. What you just heard there was the mother of Clint Lawrence. This was a, a video she put out pleading with then President Barack Obama about the case of her son. We have covered this many, many, many times on this program. Now, uh, the president did something very interesting this week as it relates to Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher. Uh, And he said, in honor of his past service to our country, Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher will soon be moved to less restrictive confinement while he awaits his day in court. Process should move quickly. And in the case of Gallagher, was arrested on September 11th while receiving medical care. Camp Pendleton has been held in San Diego's Naval Consolidated Brig Miramar with like, oh, sex offenders, rapists, pedophiles, you know, the lawmakers blasted during a uh, Capitol Hill rally on Thursday. Gallagher has pleaded not guilty to war crimes stemming from a deployment to Iraq nearly two years ago. And, um, you know, we have this problem where, especially under the rules of engagement of Obama, we have a problem. That is that you have men and women in the in the battlefield that are being second guessed while they are having handcuffs put on them. And then if they make a wrong decision, this is during a time of war. Then they are being held accountable and they're trying to prosecute these people. And it's not 
you know, we told you about Christian Saucier. Okay, he had six pictures of the submarine he was so proud to work in. Thankfully, and he served his time, had to leave his mother and his wife and his daughter and spend a year in jail. On the case of Clint Lawrence, you know, this is another travesty of justice because of these asinine rules of engagement during the Obama years. And uh, they were put in place. And literally, Clint had just become the platoon leader about a week or a week and a half after members of that platoon were killed by jihadists, radical Islamists in Afghanistan that were riding motorcycles like it, for example, like they were with a car bomb. So all of a sudden, Clint is there with his platoon. He's leading that platoon. And he only really has a split second to decide, oh, are these people in the motorcycle that are coming towards his platoon just like what happened before I got here that killed these guys? Are they jihadists? Are, is this another example or not? So he had to make a split-second decision. He made the decision that he couldn't risk the lives of his men. And as a result, well, now he's facing, what, 30 years in jail. And the sad part is, is since this trial and all this took place, new evidence was discovered in this particular case where they actually, the people that died on the motorcycles... Yeah, they're fingerprints. In other words, DNA evidence is available on IEDs that were planted in and around the same area. You know, biometric details that they didn't have in place. Evidence that exonerates Clint because he rightly figured out they were who they were. Which, by the way, you know, if we're going to send our brave men and women to go fight in the battlefield and we're going to put handcuffs on them. We're going to tie their hands behind their back and they have to make split second decisions that we're going to sit back in the comfort of our own protected homes, thanks to them, and then put them on trial and put them in jail for the rest of their life. No, that can't happen. Not in this country. Uh, Don Brown joins us. He's the author of The Travesty of Justice, the shocking prosecution of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence also a JAG officer, and he's on Clint's legal team, and this book is exposing what is now overwhelming evidence to exonerate Clint Lawrence. Uh, he's not guilty of anything, and, you know, uh, do you know if this has gotten into the hands of the president? Is the president aware of Clint Lawrence's case? Sean, thanks for sticking with the fight here, and this is a marathon for justice, and you've been a warrior. You're right. Clint is guilty of nothing. I don't know whether this has gotten into the president's hands, but I know a guy named Sean Hannity could walk it over there to him when we get a copy of the book in your hands. But I can tell you this, now is the time for action. Clinton needs to be exonerated now. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, John Maher, who's been on your show a number of times, lead, uh, who is lead counsel for the defense team in this case, was kind enough to bring me on board as the fourth JAG officer fighting for Clint's freedom, along with uh, Kevin Mikashek and David Bolgiani. And this is not a close call. Um, what we are hoping to do is to see President Trump sign what we call a disapproval of findings and sentencing to vacate the whole thing, not just a pardon. A pardon would be nice, but the problem, Sean, with a pardon is it, apply, it, it implies guilt. He's guilty of nothing. You know, Colonel West said recently that trying to charge these guys 
for murder in a battlefield is about as stupid as riding speeding tickets at the Daytona 500. And I can tell you this, Clint's been riding at Leavenworth for six years, and he's got you know, he had a 20-year sentence that was commuted one year down to 19 years. He still has another 13 years to sit there because he put his neck on the blind for me and you. And uh, it's time to right this wrong. I can tell you this. Um, these more recent uh, travesties against Eddie Gallagher and against uh, Matt Goldstein are, are really shooting a bad uh, acid into the morale of the current U.S military. Clinton's been gone for six years, but we got to clean this up. President Trump's doing a great job trying to secure the border, but you got to secure the military. you got to have good order and discipline. You can't have these despicable political prosecutions, but Clinton needs to be freed now. Not tomorrow, not 30 minutes from now, not a year from now, but now. It's time for him to walk out free. And by the way, Sean, I was uh, with, uh, with Clint five times last year at Leavenworth, and when, when he's finally out, He's going to be one of the greatest interviews that you ever that you ever. The guy is unbelievable. He's a patriot. He still loves his country, despite the fact that he's been shafted. He still loves the army, and he still wants to serve. And President Trump, if you're listening, disapprove those sentences and findings now. Restore Clint to active duty, and give him back pay for the time that he's been rotting away at Leavenworth without pay. And then promote him commensurate with his time and service. It's time to right this wrong and see justice. Let me let me ask you one question, which I never understood in this case. I understand the the insanity of the Obama rules of engagement. Right. I think I described accurately the circumstances under which he had to make a split second decision. Yeah. Right. Okay. He did. And I I explained I think pretty accurately that the rules of engagement were in place, and yeah. you know the biometrics evidence that exonerates Clint. Um, literally has not been used as it relates to forensics as a, uh, with the two jihadists that were approaching this platoon. What I don't understand is why that evidence didn't be brought before a military jury. They know that Clint's man had shot and killed the enemy, and the prosecution portrayed the motorcycle riders as if they were on a Sunday stroll in the park. And, you know, they were, these were just poor, innocent farmers. We now can prove beyond any doubt that that's not true. But what I don't understand is that Clint's men were ordered to testify against him or face murder charges themselves. Now, we now know, just following this whole special prosecutor issue, that it is a very common practice that if you sing or compose, you will get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right. Okay. But the problem here is how many of these of his own guys did that to save their own ass from going to jail themselves for the rest of their lives? Sean, you ask a very good question. This evidence, this biometrics evidence, a lot of most Americans don't know that uh, one of the things that uh, General Petraeus put into place around 2007 is the U.S. Army was taking fingerprints of just about everybody in Afghanistan. The original, and, and so we're doing that because as you set it up earlier, these. IEDs would, would go off. More Americans were killed by bombs in the ground than, than by bullets in the Afghan war. You know, this, this, this patrol on the morning that these yahoos were shot by Clint's men had to march in a straight single file line a uh, hundred or so yards long because, because you step to the left or the right, boom, you blow up. So we were collecting evidence. And so 
uh, Lieutenant Colonel Maher, John Maher, lead counsel, did not take the case until afterwards. John had some experience working in Afghanistan with this biometrics prosecution program, so he knew about it. But to go back to the original trial, the defense team at the original trial, which is a different group of lawyers, did request discovery asking for biometrics data, and it was not delivered. It was hidden from them. The military judge referred to it as going deep into the abyss. This was exonerating evidence hid deliberately from the military jury. Why? Because they wanted to deliver Clint's head on a silver platter to appease the Karzai administration, Hamid Karzai. Now, you've nailed it on the head with these rules of engagement. It really dates back to the summer of 2011, um, but there was the 96 days between Operation Neptune Spear taking out bin Laden and the shootdown of Extortion 17 August 6, 2011. Things change. Obama comes out on June 24th, announces we're pulling out of Afghanistan. He gives a definite pullout date, and Karzai goes ballistic because he knows he can't survive without American military power. So he starts negotiating with the Taliban. And then, Sean, we start negotiating with the Taliban. The Taliban is complaining about we're killing them. And they com- they're complaining about it under the guise of civilian casualties, which is a bunch of BS. So the Obama administration reacts by tightening the rules. One of the rules in place is, is basically uh, is basically you've got to play battlefield lawyer. You, have to, you, have to, you can't shoot – Unless you're shot at first, but if you're going to shoot without being shot at first, you got to play battlefield lawyer, which required these guys to go through a two-part analysis. Number one, is there a hostile intent? Number two, is there a hostile act? Well, hell, by the time a motorcycle comes up on you and pulls the ripcord, you're dead. And that's the situation Clint had to face. It was a no-win situation. And I tell you this, Sean, I spent a lot of time with him over the last year. John Maher going out to see him again this coming weekend. But the young man said that, hey, if I had to make a – he said, I had to make a decision. The decision was either to protect my men or take the risk they were going to get killed. This platoon would have gone home in 30 days, and Clint was determined that none of them would go home in body bags. And so in a split-second decision, if you said, as you said, he said, pull the trigger. And, and Clint told me that had he been wrong and not pulled the trigger and not ordered his men – actually, Clint never even saw the motorcycle. He was far enough away from it. He didn't see it. But if his men had not fired and he'd been wrong, they'd been taken out, he told me he would have lived in a prison that was far worse than the prison that they put him in because that prison, knowing that his men's blood were on his hands, would have, would have haunted him for the rest of his life. And we've got to put an end to it. This is an opportunity for the president to go in and clean up some of this crap going on in the military where we have political correctness at the top echelons of the military, still bleeding over from the last administration where bureaucrats put the lives of the enemy ahead of the lives of Americans. We've got to stop it. And we have to improve good order and discipline and morale in the military. And President Trump can do that by freeing Clint now and wiping away this crap with Eddie, with, uh, Eddie Gallagher and Matt Goldstein and do it now, Mr. President. I, I don't think I can say it any better. Will you please send my best wishes, my thoughts, my prayers to Clint Lawrence? And uh, I'll do my very best. Uh, People think I have a lot more contact than I actually do, but uh, I'll make sure that if I get an interview at any point in the near future with the president or even at a later point, I will get that book uh, to his staff and in his hands. Sean, we're trying um, to get a million copies out. We set it down at two ninety nine on the e-book. We want a million Americans to read it and call the White House to free Clint now. All right. I appreciate it. I agree completely. And by the way, the, the, the e-book price of this is only two ninety nine. That's it. I mean, you need to get this. We'll put it. We'll put it up on our website, Hannity.com. All right, quick break. Thank you so much, uh, Don Brown, for being with us. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean is our number. 
Hannity tonight, 9 Eastern. We have a great show tonight. You don't want to miss it. Uh, Dan Bongino versus Geraldo. That's always fun. Also, Lindsey Graham stops by. Mark Morgan, who's he? Obama's border guy who says, yeah, it's a real crisis. It's a real problem. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little Alec Baldwin tonight and much, much more. 9 Eastern, Hannity on Fox News. You will not get from the hate Trump media mob. On the Fox News Channel. And yes, we're holding them accountable. See you tonight at 9 back here tomorrow. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.